1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, if you're using the, the, the Bibles there in the chairs, it's page 704. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now they come in. When, <laughs> yeah, but we needed you when we were singing. <laughs> oh. I like to spend time out in the desert. I talk about it often. It, to me, it's a, it's, a, it's a great way to get alone with God. And, and um, <clears throat> one of the things that I, I carry with me usually, not, not always, but I, I try to most of the time, is I carry uh, a, 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 a monocular with me. Do you do all know what a monocular is? Some... some yeah, it's a pair of binoculars, but you know. But anyway, I brought my monocular with me, and and um, uh, ba- basically, it's a binocular, but it's only one-sided of of a binocular. Um, so it's a monocular, you know. Makes sense to me. <clears throat> but anyway, the reason I don't have a pair of binoculars is because, for some stupid reason, I always close one eye. So I thought, why buy a set of binoculars when I only use one anyway, right? And they're sm- it's smaller. But anyway, I, I always take, I, I, most of the time, I take my monocular with me. And, and uh, I use it for uh, finding stuff out in the desert. It's really cool uh, to just stand there and just kind of scan the desert. and just Because, you know, when you're, when you're out there, you, you can see things that are far away and that, that you can't see with just the naked eye. So I just, I'll just get up on a hill sometimes and just kind of, scan and just look and just see what's out there <clears throat> sometimes i use it for safety uh, because one of the things is when you're out in the desert uh, you're vulnerable are you not um, so uh, if i see a vehicle off in the distance i'll i'll kind of lock in on it and kind of follow it to see what direction it's going and and if if for whatever reason uh, at, when i'm praying if I feel like, okay, God's saying, okay, you need to like move along, <laughs> you know, but it, it's a safety issue for me. Uh, uh, another thing, uh, a lot of times I do it, uh, to, I, I like to watch horses. And this way I can, I can watch the horses from a distance and, and, um, and uh, I, I enjoy doing that. <clears throat> In any case, this helps me focus on things that are far away. And <clears throat> I don't know if you did it when you were a kid, but when I was a kid, we used to take my dad's binoculars and turn them around backwards and, and look, look through them backwards. Y'all ever done that? Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but it's really hard to focus on something that is really, really small. But when you use it properly, it's easy to focus on something. And it's a simple illustration, but when the Word of God is used properly in our lives, it helps us focus. You know, this, this, little, this little knob right here helps bring things into focus. 
And the Word of God in our lives can oftentimes act as this little knob here and, and bring things into focus in our lives. And as I was in prayer about the, the, the message this morning, I, I kept thinking about my, my little monocular here and, and how much I enjoy using it and what a, what a help it is to me. And, and, and even it, it is a, a sense of comfort, if you would, because of the safety factor that it can be in my life. Then I started thinking about the parallels of the Word of God and sometimes that there have been times in my life that my life has been out of focus and this book has helped me bring my life back into focus. Uh, <clears throat> two weeks ago, we started a, a sermon. I, I don't, again, I don't normally do this, but uh, I started a sermon um, three weeks ago and part one of that sermon we talked about the power or the importance of the word of God part two of that sermon was last week and we talked about the importance of the people around us <clears throat> the people around us can make a huge difference in our lives can it not uh, at the end of that sermon, I uh, last week I made the statement, uh, "You show me your friends, and I can tell you what your life is going to be like." I also made this statement: Everywhere in Scripture that we see a thriving church, it is, we see a church that fellowships and looks out for one another. And I read the example in Acts chapter forty-six and forty-seven. Uh, and they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And the importance of the people around us. And this morning, I'm going to finish the sermon with part three. Uh <clears throat> And that is focusing on the glory of God before us. Focusing on the glory of God before us. Let's look at chapter 2 and start reading in verse 17. But we, brethren, being taken from you uh, for a short time, uh, devoured... Uh, the more abundantly, uh, uh, excuse me, endeavored, excuse me, wow, endeavored, uh, the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we were, uh, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our clown, our, for ye are our glory and joy. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you again for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. And Lord, as we look at this passage of scripture, I ask that you would work in our hearts and our lives. And you would help us to focus 
on the glory that you have before us. We are so thankful and grateful for all that you do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Paul gives us three different ideas or, or concepts of things that, that we, we're going to talk about this morning. The first one uh, is Paul's frustration. Paul, Paul had gone to Thessalonica and had started that church, but I don't know if you remember, we talked about this several weeks ago, but Paul was only there three weeks. He went to Thessalonica, he, he, he started preaching in the temple, people started getting saved, and <clears throat> there were so many people saved in that short, short period of time that there were enough people to start a church. But after a little over uh, three weeks, Paul was, uh, had to leave uh, and flee for his life. So here, here you, you have a church that really only had a pastor for three weeks. And so Paul is, is, starts off here in verse 17 by, by talking about the fact that he's frustrated that he's, he has tried multiple times to get back to Thessalonica to help train the people, to help, help them grow in their faith. <clears throat> but he's been hindered. Look at verse 18. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, uh, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Multiple attempts were made, but Satan was hindered. A couple weeks ago, <clears throat> I'm, I'm not allowed to, to hike out in the desert right now. My physical therapist has absolutely forbid me to do that. But I'm still allowed to drive out in the desert, okay? <clears throat> so I still, <laughs> I, I still, I still uh, go out there. And and uh, a couple weeks ago, I was I was out on a trail that I had been on before. And I I came around this curve, and somebody had taken. I don't even know how they did it, but anyway, they they had taken a pile of dirt and piled it on top of of the of the trail. The the made it absolutely impassable. And I thought, why would you do that? But anyway, um, uh, my my point is this: that is what the word hindered hinders means. There was absolutely there was absolutely no way for me to go over or around that pile of dirt. It was it was that high, and and the the the, the terrain dropped off on on either direction. So the, there was no way around it. There was no way over it. It was absolutely impassable. And when as I honestly this was this is exactly what happened. As I sat in my truck looking at this pile of dirt and. And, and they couldn't do it where you could see it. You had to actually come around a curve and almost run into it, you know, anyway. But as I sat there looking at this pile of dirt, immediately, because I had already been in preparation for this sermon, I immediately thought of this word. Whoever hindered my path. And that is exactly the frustration that Paul experienced as he tried, every time he tried to get back to Thessalonica to be a, to be a help and a blessing to, to uh, the believers there, Satan put a roadblock in his way. 
absolutely impassable. As hard as he tried, he couldn't get there. Now, I want to I kind of give you a lesson here on the power of Satan. The power of Satan is real. Just saying. So many believers today underestimate the fact that... Well, let me, let me read this to you because I found this to be incredibly interesting. Even those who claim to be born again are not necessarily firmly grounded in the truths of the Bible. In his book, which provides statistical analysis of religious beliefs in America, George Barna cites several fascinating statistics which are based on a national survey. In chapter 4 of his book, he, he makes this statement. Now, now listen to this statement very carefully. The devil or Satan is not a live being, but a symbol of evil. Okay, so let, let me read this to you again. So that you, because as, as I continue to read, um, it, it's really sad what happens. The devil or Satan is not a live being, but a symbol of evil. Then, asking a segment of his uh, survey respondents who have identified themselves as being born again, he, asked, he, he then asked this question, do you agree strongly, agree somewhat, disagree somewhat, or disagree strongly with that statement? The born-again population replied with 32% agreeing strongly with that statement. 11% agreed somewhat, and 5% said that they didn't know. The total number of respondents were 48% either agreed that Satan is a symbolic figure or they didn't know. And we wonder today why our churches are floundering. Satan is alive and well. And he is going to hinder our path in every opportunity that he gets in our lives. Paul experienced it. And, and, and Paul very, very clearly expressed his frustration that Satan was hindering him on every opportunity he had to get, get, back, to Cor- uh, get back to Thessalonica. Now, Satan is alive and well. Verse 17, he uses an interesting word here. It says, but we, brethren, uh, being taken from you uh, for a short time uh, in presence, not in heart, endeavoring uh, the more abundantly to see you, to see your face with great desire. The word desire there is an interesting word. It is the same word that Jesus used when he was referring to his own disciples. In, in, in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. 
he, the, the Last Supper is getting ready to take place. And, and all of the things that, that are going to happen, and they're going to happen quickly. And Jesus, being God, knows that all this stuff is going to happen. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 15, Jesus voices his desire to spend his last few moments, if you would, with his disciples. When he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. The same desire that Jesus had in his last moments of peace on earth. His last desire was to spend time with his disciples. And it is that same desire that Paul had for the believers at Thessalonica, that deep, sincere desire to be with them. That was the kind of desire that Paul had for the believers. And because, because Satan hindered him in every, every opportunity that he had, Paul was very, very frustrated because of the, his desire to see the, his, the believers there. Number one, we see Paul's frustration. Number two, we see Paul's questions. In, in the first part of chapter, excuse me, verse 19, Paul asked three questions. I don't know if you realize this, but gr grammatically, uh, whenever there's a comma, you can take whatever's before it and just keep going with it. So in other words, uh, Paul says here in verse 19, it says, for what is your hope, or excuse me, what is our hope? For what is our joy? For what is our crown of rejoicing? Those are three questions that Paul asked the, the believers of Thessalonica. So the first one is, what is, what is our hope or what is your hope? The word hope here, and, and, and please understand this because it is important to understand what Paul's asking the, the believers at Thessalonica. Oftentimes, we have a tendency to look at this word hope in a way that's almost mystical. I hope somebody will give me a million dollars. Well, that's mystical because that ain't going to happen, okay? But, but, but see, that's how, we, that's how we, in 21st century English, that's how we look at this word hope. But that the word hope here is, is not some mystical thing that just happens to be out there and we kind of wait for it to happen. But this, this is literally, <clears throat> if you could see it in, in Greek, it, it, it is an object, and what Paul, what Paul is asking here is, what is the object of your hope? It is not a, it's not a thing that's out there, but it is, a, it is a literal object. And Paul is saying, what is the object of your hope? And what happens in, in our lives so often is we get locked into the things of this world. We get locked into our bank accounts and our the equity in our homes and our, 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 our jobs, and we get into the, the, the things that become our hope. And Paul asks the question, what is your hope? What is the object of your hope? In other words, 
you could pick up your monocular and say, okay, what am I focusing on? What is, what is my hope? What are you focusing on? Jesus makes a similar statement or, or has a similar question to his disciples. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that the Son of Man am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So Jesus comes to his disciples, and he says to them, Hey, what, what do people out there, what do they say about me? What, what do they think about me? Uh, what are they focusing on, in other words? And, some, and they said, well, some think you're John the Baptist, some think you're Elijah, some think you're Jeremiah, uh, some think you're just one of the prophets. But the real question comes in the next verse. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Okay, that's good. I'm okay. What do people say? Who you know? Who do they think I am? Well, you know, we heard the answer. And Jesus looks at him. He says, "Okay, but who do you think I am?" In other words, who are you focused on? What are you focused on? See, that's the real question. And Peter, and Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. See, Peter was focused on the right thing. Peter was focused on, on, on the right hope, if you would. So when, G, when, when Paul was, was, was writing the Thessalonian believers, he was saying, Hey, who are you focused on? What is your hope? What is the object of your hope? The understood answer to that question is Jesus Christ. The second thing that he asks is what is your joy? Again, it's interesting here because <clears throat> the word joy here is, is, a, is, a, uh, uh, is a word of description, is it not, that, that takes place in a person's life when you're happy. And it's it is almost a a descriptive word. It, it's it it describes a feeling, does it not? But here again, Paul is not asking <clears throat> about your feelings. This word again incorporates the idea of an object. What is your joy? What is the object of your joy? Is the object of your joy your bank account? Is the object of your joy a family member? Is your object of your joy you fill it in you fill in the blank? But the question that Paul is asking is a hard question to answer because we are all guilty of having 
objects of joy that are not necessarily the right things. Paul did not fret. That's a good southern word, fret. I like that word. Paul did not fret over the things of the past. Paul lived his life with his feet in the present, but his eyes on the future. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, it says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run with all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things, but they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible I therefore so run, not as uncertain, uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep my body and bring it, under, bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I am, have preached to others, I myself shall be a castaway. See, <clears throat> Paul's desire was to see the people of Thessalonica enjoy the joy that comes from following Christ. That was his desire. Where is your joy this morning? You say, but pastor, joy is fleeting. It comes and goes. Well, according to Scripture, our joy, if our joy is in the right object, then that joy can be there all the time. Through the difficult times, through the easy times, through the fun times, through the hard times. See, if our joy is in Jesus Christ, He never changes. <clears throat> Jesus tells us that true joy is in him. In John chapter 16, verse 33, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And then the third thing that he asked in this verse is what is your crown of rejoicing? Again, an object. What is the crown of your rejoicing? If we go back to the verses that we read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, Paul mentions that the crown that the athletes strive for is a corruptible crown. And I have a picture of, of what they would strive for. The, the, during what we would call the Olympics, but back when in the Greek games, this would be the crown, a corruptible crown. What, what does that mean? Okay? After, after a few days, what's going to happen to this? It's going to turn brown, it's going to be brittle, and it's going to be worthless. 
Now, why, why is it so important that, <clears throat> see, and, and we, we lose this a lot, okay? The, the athletes back then strived for a corruptible crown. Why is that so important? Why didn't they, I mean, in our Olympics, they get a ribbon with a gold medal, do they not? Or a silver medal, bronze medal, or whatever. Those are not corruptible. Those are going to last. But why, why would somebody train and exercise and do all that they got to do for a crown that's going to last for a few days? It, it's very symbolic. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but it's incredibly symbolic. Because the reality is, human effort, human ability is fleeting, is it not? And there's always going to be somebody who's going to come behind you who's going to be bigger, stronger, and faster. And it was a reminder to the athletes back then that, you know what? Your abilities are temporal. And Paul is, is, is sitting here saying, hey, what is the object? What is the crown of your rejoicing? Is it temporal or is it eternal? Again, going back to the verses we read a minute ago, he said, he said the, the athletes strive for corruptible crowns, but we incorruptible crowns. What is the, what is the crown of your rejoicing? Are you, are you striving to please men? Or are you striving to please God? What are you focused on? Second Timothy chapter four verses six to eight. For I am now ready to be offered, and my time of departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there I, is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. That's not temporal. That's eternal. Which the Lord, the righteous Judge, shall give me at the day at that day. And not to me only, but, all, but unto all them also that love is appearing. Paul was, in, a, in, in essence, I believe, trying to encourage the Thessalonian believers to stick it out, to stay, to stay faithful. Again, if you remember, they were going through persecution and all kinds of hard, difficult things. And Paul, I believe Paul is trying to encourage them to stick it out and, and to, to stay tough. Before my surgery, I think it was a, a couple of months before my surgery, I was out in the desert and I, I had parked my truck at, and, I, and I, I just started walking and I walked for about two miles, I don't know, maybe three. And I, I was just walking and and I thought, you know, I probably ought to be heading back. Y'all ever done that? And, and I turned around, and I couldn't see my truck. <laughs> and you, you know, you know, it just kind of, your, your stomach just kind of, you know. But I, I knew basically where it was, so I, I wasn't too worried about it. <clears throat> so I, I, started, I started walking back. 
And I got back, I don't know, I, 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 I walked for a while, and then all of a sudden I could see the top of my truck sticking over the bushes. I went, okay, okay, we can do this. You know, the relief that just kind of floods you, you know? And as I, as I walked, I, I kept looking at the top of my truck, and uh, you know, the, obviously the closer I get, the more I could see. Now, let me ask you a question. Did I, did I walk the entire time with my eyes on the truck? No. I'd have been a, I'd have been a fool because of the, the rocks and the bushes and the, 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 the holes. And the, you, you know, I, on my way out, <clears throat> I had seen multiple snake, snake trails, uh, evidence of snakes. So if I had just walked without taking my eye off the truck, I, I would have never made it. Through this year, we, I have hopefully encouraged you to focus on the things of God. And I believe that's what Paul is trying to communicate to the Thessalonian believers. But how do we focus? Do we walk blindly through life with our eyes on Christ and never take our eyes off? Or do we do like I did in the desert that, that, that day and, and, and watch where I'm going, but every once in a while just look up to make sure I'm going in the right direction? Because if we, if we don't walk in today, then we're going to trip and fall over bushes and rocks and step in holes and get bit by snakes. Because I'm here to tell you there's a lot of snakes along the way. So Paul here is not telling, telling it the believers to be to put on blinders and, and just no, you still have to live in today, but you still need to be pushing forward and focused on the things of God. Number one, we see Paul's frustration. Number two, we see Paul's questions. And then number three, we see Paul's delight. Paul's delight. And we actually sang about the delight. And basically his delight was heaven. Look at verses 19 and 20. For what is our hope and our, our joy and our rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord at his coming? In other words, when he comes, guess where you're going to be? You're going to be in his presence. <clears throat> For ye are our joy and rejoice uh, and joy. <clears throat> his delight was not only knowing that he would be in heaven one day, but his his joy was also knowing that many of the Thessalonians would be with him too. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Because I want to challenge you with a thought that as I was, as I was reading this, one of the commentators that I, was, that I was reading mentioned something and it caused me to think this thought. Okay, Rick. And I have made this statement multiple times. 
you're looking forward to going to heaven, aren't you? And I say, and I, and I, yes, I am looking forward to going to heaven. And then the thought came to me. Well, who are you taking with you? And I thought, wow, that's a good question. Who am I going to take with me? Look at verse 20. For ye are our our glory and joy. What was Paul saying? You know, it's it's one thing to go to heaven, and it's going to be an exciting day. It's one thing to go to heaven, but Paul is saying here, not only is is it exciting to go to heaven, but it's even more exciting because you're going to be there with us. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to the day that I go to heaven. But even more importantly, I, I wonder and I, and I think about all the other people that are going to be there because I took the time to tell them about Jesus Christ. But the scary thought is, I wonder how many people are not going to be there because I didn't take the time to tell him. One of my favorite songs has a, has a line in it that I absolutely love. I, I, I sing to myself quite often. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. You know, and it, it helps me. That, that, the line in that song helps me keep in perspective the things of this world. You know what? If somebody were to give me a brand new Porsche, I would love it. I mean, I would. I'd drive it all over the place. I'd probably get a bunch of tickets. But you know what? It's just a thing. It's just a thing. And if we can remember the only thing that we can take to heaven with us is someone else. You're not taking anything to heaven except someone else. And that's what Paul is closing the thought here in this chapter. He's like, you know what? It's exciting to go to heaven, but you are our glory and joy. As I close this morning, and we're a little early, mainly because of the piano problem. As I close, let me challenge you with with what Paul challenged us with. Where's your hope? What, What are you focusing on in your hope? Is your hope in something of this world? I hope not. I hope it's in Jesus Christ. What is your joy? Is your joy attached to your emotions or is it attached to Jesus Christ? What is your rejoicing? What is the crown of rejoicing in your life? If it is anything but Jesus Christ, it's temporal. It's not eternal. What are you focused on? 
And as I, I, I gave the illustration as I walked through the desert that day and I had uh, lost track of my, my vehicle, you know, until, until I could see the top of my truck, there was always that essence of, for lack of better terms, that essence of fear in my life, my heart. Because I thought I knew where my truck was, but I didn't know for sure. Because you get out in the desert and it, it all looks alike. But as soon as I could see the roof of my truck, I had something to focus on. You know what? All the fear went away. That's what God wants us to do. Focus on Him. What do you focus on this morning? And then, and then the final challenge is this. Who, who are you taking with you? We need to be diligent about telling others about Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you.